lady of Guadalupe once said, hear me, my littlest one. Let nothing discourage you, nothing depress you. Am I not your mother? Are you not under the protection of my mantle? Welcome to the 24th episode of St. Dimphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to know that Mary deeply understands the pain and suffering in your life, and she wants to walk alongside you on your path forward. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, a lot of us are nervous about the idea of starting medication for our mental health, and while that initial reaction is completely normal and logical, it also leads to a lot of continued suffering. So what do we do? When I was about 25, I went for my annual optometry appointment, and they checked my blood pressure like always, but this time around, it was high. I wrote it off as being nervous because they make you sit in the waiting room without your contacts in, and I'm absolutely blind without them. But they tracked me down and got me in to see my primary care doc, which led to an identical high reading and the inevitable advice for me to start taking medication for my newfound, most likely inherited from my parents I've never met, because I'm adopted, hypertension. I was adamantly against it. I mean, I was still so young and just out of the blue, I was going to have to start taking medication every single morning for the rest of my life. I politely declined. And my primary care doctor sternly explained that without medication, my uncontrolled blood pressure would likely lead to a heart attack or stroke by my 50s if I was lucky enough to make it that long. And so I relented and have been taking medication pretty much ever since. Over the years, I stopped the meds or cut them in half periodically, thinking I could beat the condition myself, only to see the numbers rise to dangerous levels again and again, leaving me with no choice but to be convinced that there's no other option. While I know there's a difference between taking medicine for hypertension and depression or bipolar disorder, for example, I share this story because taking this medication has helped me have a glimpse into the world of what people seeking mental health treatment face. The desire to be free of medicine. The fear that giving in to medication means admitting we're broken and unable to help ourselves. And in mental health, there's an additional worry that medication is changing who we really are, leaving us numb unable to feel, or being controlled or changed by an outside substance. Not to mention, unlike my hypertension or another person's diabetes, for example, there's no test that we can take for our mental health, no number that pops up from a blood draw that definitively gives us the evidence we often feel like we need to see that tells us that medication is necessary. In mental health, there has to be a certain level of trust in the provider when the question of meds come up, which can be difficult to grow, especially considering the brief amount of time that providers normally spend with us. So I would give this advice. First, know ahead of time that it typically takes different trials of different medications before you find the one or ones that will help you thrive. I usually see people go through three different trials before finding something that's helpful without too many side effects. Second, if you're suffering and you've tried to work on it but just don't seem to be able to get to the place where you want to be, you should strongly consider trying medication even briefly to see if it might alleviate some of that suffering that you do not deserve to experience. 
Remember, mental illness is a physical illness and needs to be treated as such, both on a personal and societal level. If you have a broken arm, you get a cast. If you have cancer, you look into options for treatment and management. And if you have PTSD, you should seek help and get treatment just like any of the aforementioned issues without stigma, without shame, and without anything but loving support from friends, family, and mental health treatment providers. Next up, we hear a lot about the early illness faced by Catholic favorite St. Therese of Lisieux. A question sent my way, however, delves a deeper into this question, into this situation, wondering if her sickness in early life was actually caused by heartbreak over the death of her mother and her sister leaving the home after hearing a call to a vocation. And if so, what does that mean for us? We've talked about St. Therese on the podcast before, back on episode 7 for those playing at home, and explored her emotional state both as a child and a young adult, and a lot of ink has been spilled on people looking back and diagnosing Therese with the likes of social anxiety, scrupulosity, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and even possibly bipolar disorder. Of course, looking back in this way is difficult, even with her own writings to guide our understanding of her emotional state at the time. That being said, there is one theme that plays out in her life that hovers just beneath all the personality traits that lead people to diagnose her with the aforementioned disorders, and that theme is separation. Separation is a devastating experience that leads to a wide range of responses. And in Therese's case, the losses of several loved ones obviously left her in a bad space. The death of her mother was an expected difficulty, as it would be for any of us. And then it appears her sister Pauline moving into the convent directly led to Therese becoming violently ill, physically speaking. And there's most definitely a connection between her sensitivity, her emotional rawness, and her physical health experience. So what does this mean for us today here in 2020? Well, I think it means that we need to remember the connection between our mental health, our personal experiences, and our physical being. Heartbreak, separation, loss, all these take a physical toll on us in addition to the mental toll we all talk about. But outside of the regular depression, anxiety, stress, etc., we really need to think about the physical response we experience. Difficulty sleeping, lack of appetite, pain, headaches, increased alcohol consumption, and address these as well, taking a holistic approach to our mental health and wellness. And then we can all thank St. Therese for helping us explore these ideas a little more deeply. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm here to introduce you to St. Ailred of Revu. <laughs> Please feel free to hit reply and make fun of me for that pronunciation. Holy smokes. Born in 1110 in England, Aylred spent years in the court of King David of Scotland, starting there from as early as 14 years of age. He rose to the rank of master of the household before taking off to join the Cistercians at the age of 24. I can't help but saying master of the house at Seinfeld episode. He would go on to become an influential abbot, was involved in political affairs, helped lead Henry II to recognize Pope Alexander III in 1161, and he wrote several influential books on spirituality. Toward the end of his life, he suffered from kidney stones and arthritis, and he died in 1167. Aylred wrote quite extensively on friendship, and there's a tendency among many historians to see him as an LGBT saint, with some notes of his personal writings delving deeply into relationships he had or attractions he had, etc. However, it's important to note as well that some historians recognize the realities of his life are far less known than others suppose, and note that it's difficult to look back nearly 900 years 
years uh, into the past and glean these sort of specifics from his writings. What isn't disputed is that his works very clearly exhorted chastity among the unmarried, and with that being said, he's a great example to all of us for the manner in which he walked away from the lure of the world to focus on Christ and help us to all grow in our understanding that seeing Christ as the most important thing independent of all the other experience we have in our life is the true key to holiness and wholeness as human beings. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, so let's go. Grant to your people, Almighty God, a spirit of mutual affection, that following the example of your servant Aelred, we might know the love of Christ in loving one another, and might rejoice in the gift of your eternal goodness through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. First up, Kel checks in. I was wondering if you had any advice about the aftermath of abusive relationships, specifically friendships. I have ADHD and a lot of insecurity stemming from that in my relationships with others. And my mom and friend just recently helped me realize how my best friend for the last three years has been taking advantage of me. Um, to tear me down and make me feel unworthy of love and friendship because of any mistakes I make and my impulsivity. I'm currently working to remove myself from the situation. However, right now I'm just feeling very vulnerable and confused how I let someone so manipulative so close into my life and regret for the last three years of unnecessary pain. Okay, fam, first let's pray for Kel for the peace and comfort that only Christ can provide. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Next, Kel, I want you to hear this. Your ADHD diagnosis, your impulsivity, your mistakes, do not make you unworthy of love. You are so worthy of love, so worthy of peace and happiness and every good thing that God wants you to have. And anyone who says otherwise is spreading the types of lies that come to us from the devil. Nothing makes us unworthy of love. Nothing about us, nothing we do, nothing. God loves us no matter what and always wants us to return to him like the prodigal child returning after throwing everything away just to fall back into the loving arms of the father. While it's totally normal to feel vulnerable or confused when you wonder how you could have let someone so manipulative into your life, you need to know that manipulative people are masters at being able to charm us and wiggle their ways into our lives without us realizing it. God bless your mother and other friend for being willing to take on the hard job of pointing it out, and blessed be God that you were open to them. So many of us are unable to hear the objective thoughts of loved ones when we're wrapped up in such a relationship. And I think moving forward, it's important to continue to be close to and trust your mother and other friend to help guide you and protect you, to help you navigate relationships as they get started. It can feel natural to question every relationship when you've gone through something like this, but I pray that God will give you the grace to be able to move forward and find nothing but healthy relationships uh, and the ability to utilize healthy tools to navigate any unhealthy ones in the future. 
Next up, Melanie stops by. I'm wondering if you've talked about EMDR on the podcast and if you could direct me to the episode. I haven't, so here it is. This is the episode. My therapist and I (laughs) did it once and it was interesting. Hard experience, but I don't have any trauma in the past, which is why what I thought it was for. We kind of used it to go back through my memories and figure out why something is triggering for me, and I'd love to hear more about it. I think the science behind it is fascinating. Thanks, Melanie. EMDR is one of those therapeutic techniques that gets people talking, and the fact that there seems to be a great deal of success with treating trauma via EMDR is a very positive thing. For those who don't know, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it's a form of psychotherapy developed by Francine Shapiro in the 90s. The idea behind it is that the therapist asks the client to recall a distressing image while the therapist directs the client in a form of bilateral sensory input, most famously side-to-side eye movement or side-to-side hand or leg tapping, either by the therapist or a little device. In addition to the the tapping in this, they're engaging in cognitive behavioral-like therapeutic approach, CBT for trauma specifically. The idea behind this, according to Shapiro, came from the fact that she noticed when she experienced a disturbing thought, her eyes began moving rapidly, involuntarily, and she noted that when she worked to control her eye movement, the anxiety was reduced. Now, it's worth noting that this form of therapy is highly controversial in the nerdy therapy circles I run in that love to discuss such things. Primarily, there's not a ton of research that points definitively toward EMDR being effective. And what I mean is that it appears that it is equally as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy for trauma alone, meaning that therapy alone seems to achieve the same results as therapy with the EMDR add-on in most of the studies done on the topic. Further, as the data that pointed to this began to roll in, Shapiro started to up the cost of her EMDR training and require that therapists had to go through her training in order to say that they were able to provide EMDR as a therapeutic modality. In full disclosure, I'm skeptical of it. However, I have many colleagues who swear by EMDR in spite of my opinion. And if something gives people relief from past trauma and current symptoms caused by past trauma and isn't doing any harm, I'd say it's fine. It's great. It all underscores the importance of trying to discover what modality of therapy best clicks with your personality. And then seeking out someone who provides therapy in that modality for your own maximum benefit. Shane brings us on home. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between depression and sloth with regards to mass attendance, confession, etc.? I would love to talk about this, Shane. Thanks. And let's start by praying for everyone who is depressed to the point of being able to attend mass, anxious to the point of being homebound, or grieving to the point of not feeling connected to God at all. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First up, some definitions. We'll start with sloth, as defined by St. Thomas Aquinas, who noted it to be a sluggishness of the mind which neglects to begin good. It is evil in its effect if it is so oppresses as to uh, oppresses man as to draw him away entirely from good deeds. It includes ignoring the gifts of the Holy Spirit and neglecting the duties of charity towards one neighbor and toward God, which would connect to the not going to mass confession thing. Next up, what exactly is major depression? In terms of the DSM-5, the Guide to Diagnosing Mental Health Conditions, major depression can be given as a diagnosis when an individual experiences at least five of the following symptoms for more than two weeks. Ready? Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. 
markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities of the day, nearly every day, significant weight loss when not dieting, or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day, a slowing down of thought and a reduction of physical movement observable by others, not just the subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down, fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day, recurrent thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. Five of those. Now, it's important to note that these symptoms are not the cause of an individual failure, nor the result of a person simply wallowing in their own sadness and refusing to do something about it, but an actual condition caused by experiences in life, sure, but also very often because of a physiological situation, specifically deficits in serotonin, norepinephrine, or dopamine. Because of that, a lack of energy or motivation or interest in our typical daily or weekly routine, like going to mass, for example, is not due to a failure of the individual. It's due to the illness they are experiencing, and in my opinion, therefore, has no connection to sloth. Instead, a person suffering from major depression to the point of being able to get to mass would fall in the same category as someone who can't make it to mass because of a physical illness, such as uncontrolled vomiting or something else that would keep you home and dispense you of your obligation until you're back in good health. So, if we see a loved one experiencing this level of depression, we need to be supportive, help them in whatever way we can, and alleviate some of the potential guilt and shame about not being able to attend Mass by ensuring they understand that the church understands what they're going through and will be there for them once they feel healthy enough to return. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've they've got going on and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.